Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Monday, January 30th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and our producer, Gabby, in for Sarah this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you on another Monday to start your week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I really do appreciate you making us part of your morning. Now, I hope you had a great weekend for all you football fans. Super Bowl 57 is all set. It'll be the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs squaring off, looking to win the Lombardi Trophy on Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th. want to bring in my partner and football fan, Glenn Leverance. Uh, Glenn, I actually stayed up uh, and watched uh, both games. <laughs> How could you not? Uh, some... Uh... Good games, uh, tough times for the 49ers with uh, quarterback injuries, but the, the second game last night, my goodness, that was uh, that was down to the wire. And uh, talk about tough jobs in the world to have an NFL referee. Uh, they, they had some uh, questionable calls as well. What a game, though. What a game. Yeah, I, you know, obviously uh, it's, it's very exciting on what they call championship Sunday. And uh, we've got a few highlights we'd like to share uh, with our listeners this morning as the Eagles indeed are headed uh, to the Super Bowl after beating uh, the 49ers 31 to 7 in the NFC Championship game. The Eagles uh, knocked uh, Niners quarterback Brock Purdy out of the game with an elbow injury. The Eagles running game accounted for four rushing touchdowns on the day, including quarterback Jalen Hurts, as heard on Westwood One. Third and goal, the snap to Hurts, he tries to crowbar his way in over the guard, touchdown! Hurts has taken it in, shoved by his teammates from behind, a one-yard touchdown run by Jalen Hurts, and the Eagles have been the NFC's best team all season long, zeros on the clock and they will carry that momentum with big wins in the divisional round against the Giants and here in the championship round against San Francisco all the way to Arizona and Super Bowl 57. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to the Super Bowl again. A convincing 31-7 win over San Francisco. And so the Eagles advanced to their fourth Super Bowl and their first since 2017, snapping the 49ers' 12-game winning streak. The Eagles will square off with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. The Chiefs getting by Joe Burrows and the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20 to in a fantastic AFC championship game as heard on Westwood One. Moving pocket, Mahomes looking, right side throws, end zone! a strike and he delivers 14-yard score the Chiefs at their lead we are tied at 20 45-yard attempt looking for the lead Butker snap placement Butker's kick he's got it Kansas City in front with three seconds remaining and it is over the Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl for the third time in four years. 
the Chiefs win the AFC Championship and get revenge against the Bengals. 23 to 20, the final at Arrowhead. What a tremendous finish uh, with three seconds to go. Glenn, wow. <laughs> the whole country was watching last night. Oh, you know, and just the, the other stories that play out in the midst of all of that, too. And uh, the Bengal player that got the late hit on Mahomes getting the penalty, moving the Chiefs close enough to make that field goal, sitting all alone, except for one player who came over by his side when the game ended. Uh, lots of human drama in sports once again, John. No question. He was practically in tears. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Harrison Butker uh, kicked three field goals on the night, including that game winner that you just heard in dramatic fashion. Just a quick note, Butker is a devout Catholic, and he is not shy about uh, sharing his Catholic faith. So uh, uh, it'll be an interesting uh, matchup uh, for uh, this upcoming Super Bowl, which is a week from next uh, Sunday. Uh, no question about it uh, that uh, there will be a lot of uh, attention uh, on uh, both of these teams as uh, the fans of, of the Chiefs uh, and the Eagles uh, are uh, quite happy here this morning. Boy, in the meantime, uh, nobody kicked Patrick Mahomes in the ankle either. He's going to try and heal up real fast over the next two weeks here. What a gutty performance for a guy that was literally playing definitely not 100%. Really hard time pushing off that back foot to really be able to throw the way he normally uh, throws and not to mention be able to run like he normally runs. Yet he, uh, he is a champion and he found a way to get it done. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a couple of the other angles in the, the Super Bowl matchup then, uh, you've got Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, the great, great tight end for the Chiefs going up against his brother who plays for the Eagles. And then you've got Andy Reid, who has coached both teams over time. So uh, some, some interesting angles setting up already for two weeks from last night. Definitely, and we will uh, be... Uh, looking ahead uh, as we get ready uh, for Super Bowl 57, just a week uh, from this coming uh, Sunday. Um, any other uh, stories here this morning that you'd like to share with us uh, from the, the news side? Yeah, just uh, kind of some sad news of protests around the country, protesting the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of police officers in Memphis. The officers had been fired and charged with murder already, but uh, some demonstrations over the weekend in a number of cities, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Dallas, Milwaukee, Phoenix, as well as in Memphis, where the beating happened. Uh, body camera video was released Friday night. Meanwhile, Nichols' stepfather, Rodney Wells, urging protesters to do so peacefully. Thankfully, uh, most of the protests uh, were uh, peaceful, and um, it's, a, it's just a really, really sad situation, that horrific beating of this young man by those five police officers. We'll have more uh, with Glenn coming up next hour. First things first, we always start uh, every morning in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. On Mondays, we traditionally pray for the souls in purgatory, so pray for your family and friends who need our prayers. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray. 
Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show uh, is our address, and you can always send us an email directly with your thoughts or questions, morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, just a couple of days ago, this past Saturday on January 28th, we celebrated the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, one of my all-time favorite saints. He is a doctor of the church known as the angelic doctor, considered to be one of the greatest theologians of all time. St. Thomas Aquinas once said, the essence of the spiritual life is to cultivate a friendship with God. I spoke to Monsignor Stuart Swetland, the president of Donnelly College in Kansas City, Kansas, about this spiritual giant, St. Thomas Aquinas. Monsignor Swetland has served as theological advisor to the Catholic Conference of Illinois and is the executive secretary for the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars. He's also a former Relevant Radio show host and a longtime contributor. Here's my conversation with Monsignor Stuart Swetland. Good morning, Monsignor Swetland. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you on this feast day. Absolutely. Happy feast day. Can you give us a, a thumbnail sketch uh, of who was this giant of a man, this great uh, uh, doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas? Right. Thomas, of course, is in the early Dominicans. Um, he uh, is... Uh, in the in what many consider uh, the best uh, century when it comes to Catholic theological development, which was the 13th century, uh, a contemporary of St. Bonaventure. Um, and, of course, the early mendicant movement was a movement because there had been such a change in society. So the uh, God raised up the Franciscans and the Dominicans to serve that new social uh, system, if you will, a social system that was much more focused on uh, city-states than on the rural area. Um, and that those uh, works that came from that two great movements, which the mendicants, because they were beggars, um, these new um, ways of serving the people of God. And, of course, for the Dominicans, the way to serve the people of God was through contemplation and theological reflection on the truths of the faith so that those truths can could be demonstrated in a way of life but also taught in a systematic way so that people could understand and therefore as you said draw, draw closer to god in friendship and adoration uh, monsignor we played uh, that beautiful uh, eucharistic hymn uh, tantum ergo written by saint thomas aquinas that we're talking about this morning this is just one of the many many contributions to our catholic church over the centuries uh, he's uh, known for a lot of things. What would you say he's best known for? Well, I want to say this is one of the saints for me. I'm a convert to the faith. I became Catholic as an adult. And I was reading Thomas Aquinas before I had any idea that I'd ever even consider becoming Catholic because he's known both in the secular world and in the church for his penetrating, brilliant intellect that systematically would examine a topic or an issue. And I first read Thomas Aquinas at the Naval Academy as a midshipman when we were studying just war theory because he was able to uh, quite succinctly put together some of the most important philosophical truths about when, the very, very uh, infrequently, 
when you could justly use deadly force in defending innocent people from actual aggression. So I was reading, and I didn't even realize who he really was other than he was a philosopher, I thought, when I was reading the second part of the second part in the Summa, question 40, on um, if uh, war was ever lawful. That's how he put the question. Is some kind of war lawful? Because he recognized that most war was unlawful, was immoral. But we were stud- so we were studying him in a secular sense. So he's one of those saints that has great respect in the secular academy, as well as all, all, obviously a prominent place, the prominent place in the study of much of theology, especially my discipline of, of moral of moral uh, theology. I'm I'm so glad that that you uh, brought up the fact that you were uh, aware of Saint Thomas Aquinas as a, a Protestant. Uh, in fact, he's highly respected by many other Protestant and evangelicals as well. And I think that many you know, many converts like myself would have that experience of coming uh, to appreciate the Catholic intellectual tradition through the writings of Saint Thomas. I was uh, speaking to a, a theologian at my college yesterday after mass. Um, mentioning I was going to be on the air, and he said for him, he's a convert too, that uh, Thomas gave back nature. And I said, well, uh, usually St. Francis is known for that. He says, no, I don't mean nature and going out and, and appreciating nature, but nature in a metaphysical sense. He, he allowed me to examine the, the, what reason can uh, help us find. And I, as I put it when I teach this to my students, the beautiful thing about Thomas is he believes in the, in the reasonableness of reason, and the reasonableness of our faith. Faith obviously goes beyond reason, but Thomas teaches us faith never contradicts reason. Monsignor uh, Swetlin, can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, St. Thomas Aquinas's passion uh, for the truth? He was on a constant mission searching for the truth. Well, uh, we heard it in the witness. If uh, people were listening on the break between your sessions, um, You've been uh, focusing on Kansas City this uh, morning, which is good. Um, but the, wit- the woman who gave witness uh, to her con- reconversion talked about how the truth liberated her. Thomas knew because he knew the scriptures and he knew the Lord that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he knew the way to freedom, as Jesus himself taught us uh, and is recorded in the Gospel of John, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's liberating to know reality as it really is, to see the world as it really is. And to see the world as it really is is to see the world as God sees it. And that's why Thomas, at the beginning, his classmates thought he was slow because he never spoke. But he was always thinking about that question, what is God? Who is God? Because he wanted to know the Lord and he knew that he could access God through the transcendentals, beauty, truth. A unity and goodness. And for Thomas, his entry, if you will, into uh, knowing God better so he could love God more fully was seeking the truth in all things. He learned this from his teachers, of course, one of them, St. Albert the Great. Monsignor Swedland, I find it amazing uh, that this a great giant of our Catholic faith. At one point, uh, it was, it was uh, known uh, as uh, uh, the, uh, the dumb ox. Uh, how in the world did they think of him as the dumb ox? Well, he was big. Yeah, as Chesterton does a great job of, and that's one book I recommend to people who want a, an introduction to Thomas. It's a great entry-level book into Thomas is um, J.K. Chesterton's biography on Aquinas. 
But uh, as Chesterton points out, you know, he was a big man, like Chesterton himself. He was a big man, and he was kind of slow and lumbering. Uh, so that's why they might use the Damox uh, um, metaphor or nickname, or if you will, they were, you know, prodding him and, and kidding him. But he also was silent. Uh, he, he did not speak uh, much in class, so people took him as, uh, as slow. Uh, of course, his teachers, the good teachers, recognize that that's not always true. The, the quiet uh, people aren't always slow. They're just more contemplative. And uh, Albert the Great recognized the brilliance of Thomas. Uh, and when he finally did speak, of course, as uh, um, Albert the Great predicted, uh, his bellowing was heard throughout all of Europe, all of Christendom. Uh, and is known down to this age. So uh, it's because uh, he was, if you will, a slow starter that he picked up that nickname. Monsignor, um, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, lived uh, less than 50 years, obviously very young by today's uh, standard. He uh, composed uh, 60-plus works, uh, including the Summa Theologica. Can you talk a little bit about this work? Uh, They really immortalized St. Thomas, something that he never did finish. Uh, Correct, and it was meant to be a work for beginners which I uh, always uh, blush to even say because I find it uh, such a daunting work, but such an important work, such a foundational work. He meant it as a preparatory work for Dominicans and others who are studying theology, and we're going to be called to be deacons and priests and therefore called to preach. So it was meant as a beginning work to give the preacher a systematic understanding of the truths of the faith so that the preacher could expound, could uh, proclaim those more efficaciously. And that's what Thomas was always about. He was about helping people come to know the word and hear the word so they could love the word made flesh, Jesus our Lord. Work for beginners, uh, 10,000 objections, uh, 631 questions. I mean, this was a big, big deal. Right. For Thomas, of course, he believed that you need that preparatory work so you could do the real work of preaching. And the real work of preaching was to uh, reflect on on the Sacra Pagina, the sacred page of Holy Scripture. So all the theological work, as important as that was, and all the apologetic work, the work he did in his arguments uh, uh, against those who opposed the faith, he uh, did wanted that work for himself and for his students uh, so that they could be better preachers and they could proclaim the world word. And remember, he was doing it in an age when not everybody had access to education, not everybody read uh, so that um, the preacher had to be so eloquent uh, that they could illustrate to people who might not actually be able to read the word themselves, the word so well that people could take it to heart and live it in their own lives. Monsignor Swetlin, um, we know that uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, St. John Paul II, was highly influenced by St. Thomas Aquinas. In fact, in his encyclical Fetus et Ratio of Faith and Reason, there's a a ton of quotes from St. Thomas. Uh, How much did uh, Thomas influence uh, JP II? Not only, and this is where some people uh, think that JP II, because he was a phenomenologist and uh, a personalist, that he was not a, a Thomas, and that's uh, nothing could be further from the truth. He looked to Thomas and saw what Thomas did in, if you will, in baptizing Greek philosophy, especially Aristotle, picking the best of what Aristotle was able to do in his day and age and bringing it in service of theology and philosophy and Catholic thinking uh, while uh, purifying it by the, the truth that we have from the gospel. 
John Paul II did something similar with phenomenology and personalism, 20th century philosophical traditions. But, but John Paul II never left his uh, strong roots in Thomistic thinking. So his encyclicals, his theology in the body, the work he does, while it's not exactly like St. Thomas Aquinas, it's rooted and grounded in that tradition. After all, his doctoral dissertation uh, advisor was Gerlagou Lagrange, the great Dominican of the mid-20th century. And, and so uh, John Paul II's thinking is grounded very much in that Thomistic tradition. While he himself tried to imitate Thomas by baptizing, if you will, some of the 20th century philosophical movements. I love uh, the famous uh, quote of St. Thomas Aquinas, the essence of the spiritual life is to cultivate a friendship with God. Uh, I know that that has inspired and motivated uh, many priests and lay people uh, throughout the centuries. Yes, and you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about a personal, passionate, intimate relationship with Christ our Lord. Jesus says to us, he says to the apostles and through them to us, I no longer call you servants or slaves. I call you friends. And we are the friends of God. In it really, if you go beyond that, even as Thomas himself reflects, you know, at the end, he wanted the song of songs read to him as he was on his deathbed because he wanted and knew that the intimate relationship with our Lord is that of bridegroom to bride. And so there's a spousal relationship um, so that we fall uh, madly in love with Jesus, our Lord. And that changes everything in our life. Well, Monsignor uh, Swetland, uh, that's really what it's all about. That's why we are honoring this great saint. I think it might be uh, uh, pretty much of a toss-up between St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine. Uh, well, for for me, Thomas is, is easier for, for me to access God uh, and his, and his, and his uh, understanding through Thomas. Um, but as far as the beauty and eloquence of that uh, psychological movement towards God, you see that so brilliantly laid out in St. Augustine. And it's why God gives us different saints, because they reflect different aspects of the totality and the brilliance of the, the, if you will, the son of the truth, the sum total of the truth. And that was my conversation with Relevant Radio contributor Monsignor Stuart Swetland, the president of Donnelly College on St. Thomas Aquinas, whose feast day we celebrated this past Saturday. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Uh, Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America, will join us to discuss the upcoming Students for Life protests of major pharmacy chains for selling abortion pills. So stay with us on this Monday as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We get it almost every night. When and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Gabby in for Sarah this morning. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. The Apostle St. Paul writes, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, 
godly and respectful in every way. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us to pray for our leaders, to pray for our government, our president, to pray for Congress. Our nation needs prayer and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, more than ever before today. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, it's been uh, 10 days uh, since the historic 50th March for Life in Washington, D.C. What's next for the pro-life movement? We're going to talk about it here in a moment. Listen uh, to this from the recent Students for Life National Pro-Life Summit. Today, we are gathered to celebrate a monumental milestone in the pro-life movement, the first National Pro-Life Summit since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We are going to celebrate a lot today, certainly, but we're also here to equip you with the tools that we all need, truly, to continue creating a culture of life and fighting until abortion is not only gone the way of Roe v. Wade from a legal perspective, but culturally, it is unthinkable in America. More on the unstoppable uh, post-Roe generation here momentarily. Our number, if you want to be part of our conversation this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, earlier this month, Walgreens, CVS, and Rite Aid announced plans to begin selling abortion drugs that are used to kill unborn babies up to 10 weeks of pregnancy, effectively making local pharmacies uh, the new abortion facilities. Keep in mind that more than half of all abortions in America are being committed with abortion drugs. Joining us live for much more perspective from Washington, D.C. is Morning Air contributor Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action, uh, to discuss the upcoming Students for Life protests of major pharmacy chains for selling those abortion pills. Kristen is a Catholic Christian, a wife, a mother, a grassroots activist, author, speaker, and a human rights advocate who's coordinated a national team that serves over 1,300 Students for Life chapters in all 50 states. States. Good morning, Kristen. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be with you all this morning. Well, Kristen, it occurred to me that this is the first time uh, since uh, we spoke right before the march. In fact, the, the morning mm-hmm. of the march, uh, that historic 50th March for Life. How special was this one for you personally and for all of your uh, Students for Life of America? Sure. You know, the sun was shining. It was like God was smiling down uh, on on that day at the march. It was so incredible. I mean, for anyone who's been out there before, you know, it's usually uh, the coldest day of the year. It's raining, snowing, and sleeting. Some years it does all three. This year was not the case. It was the sun was out. It was a beautiful day. Um, just you could just feel the joy radiating from every person who had gathered there. It was, it was a, it was a very special day indeed. Uh, any guess as to how big that crowd was? Because uh, it, first of all, like always, it looked like a lot of young people were on hand, but it looked yeah, massive yeah. Uh, from television. Yeah, it it was you know a large percentage of young people. I mean, you're in the ninety percent of young people who were there. It was simply. Um, incredible to see the pro-life generation out there in mass. Um, I'm not sure about the, the, the full number. I think it was smaller than previous years. We've had 
to have least some dioceses across the country cancel their trips to the March for Life this year. Uh, and even some say, well, this this year was their last year. Uh, they won't be returning back, which I think is a is a very sad sad statement. But we were still in tens of thousands, um, you know, around probably 100,000 young people uh, and folks, pro-life activists gathered out there. Uh, there were, of course, uh, some great moments uh, during the rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. actor that plays uh, Jesus was really uh, impressive. And uh, obviously, uh, the attorney general, uh, uh, Finch, uh, who uh, actually was responsible mm-hmm. for overturning mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade, she kind of set the tone for all the great speakers they had. Absolutely. I got to talk to the Mississippi Attorney General backstage for a little bit. You know, she and I got to know each other because our students were out there praying and holding the rally space at the Supreme Court, uh, you know, the night of the oral argument, before the oral argument, the decision day. So I got to catch up with her a little bit. Um, it, w- it was simply great. Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen was fantastic. I I met him about two years ago. He actually attended um, a, a event we had had in, at the Napa Institute, and I was just uh, blown away with his questions, his inquisitiveness about this pro-life movement, really, you know, being at that time kind of new to this pro-life movement. And so it was so exciting to hear him speak so eloquently in his defense of life. And then we had so many amazing leaders um, join us the following day at the National Pro-Life Summit, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, um, podcaster, Ali Bestucky. Um, it was it was it was truly an incredible experience. And one of the things I walked away with it was you know, folks that don't get to meet the pro-life generation on a daily basis. You know, I tried to prepare them for how amazing these young people are, how excited they are to go out and truly do, you know, one of the hardest things there is for a young person to, you know, rebut culture, to stand up and and really do that hard thing. And that's the overwhelming comment I get after folks, you know, when meet these pro-life young people, like, I can't believe how many there are. I can't believe how excited they are. And I'm like, I know this is what I tell you. These are the most incredible human beings you will ever meet. Well, I tell you, I got a chance to see as some of the highlights of your Students for Life National Pro-Life mm-hmm. Summit the, the day yeah. after the march. And uh, it, uh, it there was so much enthusiasm in that room from all those thousands of students. <laughs> it, uh, it felt like a giant pro-life pep rally. It was. It was. I think Vice, who's not a big fan of what I do, they had a reporter there and they wrote this wonderful article where they tried to attack us for the, the pep rally-like atmosphere uh, of, the, of the summit, um, the energy that was there. I mean, it was a sold-out audience. Uh, we had 2,000 seats, um, and we had 2,400 people there. Um, so it was standing room only uh, for the entire day. Um, and the young people I met were just, you know, once again, incredible. These students who were coming up to me, some from the Diocese of St. Paul, um, you know, sadly, this was their, I think their bishop had said their last trip to the March for Life, but these young people coming up to me saying things like, I had no idea. I'm going to, I've committed myself now 
I'm going to join the pro-life movement. When I graduate college, I'm starting a pregnancy center. Um, the Diocese of Toledo had this, uh, this little 11-year-old girl, Juanita, who came up to me who had handwritten uh, a letter to President Biden asking him why he wasn't living up to his Catholic faith as president. And she asked me to be the 137th signer on her letter that she's sending to President Biden. She went throughout the day and got hundreds of signatures from, you know, attendees in the halls and just, just incredible stories um, that I kept hearing over and over again from these young people from all walks of life. I had a, had a young woman come up to me who I thought was not on our side. <laughs> and she came up, thanked me for what I do. She had seen a video of, the, of me on campus, uh, it admitted that it changed her mind on abortion and that while she was still an atheist, she had braved a ride with her local church group from Charlottesville, Virginia, to come and be there with us that day. I mean, these are just, these are just, this is a sampling of the incredible stories of the people I got to personally meet. Um, It was, it was totally, um, it was just, it was an incredible day. There's so much to say, Um, but it really inspired me, John, to really focus this year on how do we get these young people to continue to come back and inspire the diocese across the country, our, our parishes, our Catholic schools, to stay involved in this fight um, for these young young children who, you know, coming to the March for Life is this life-changing moment. Uh, and to, you know, really plead with these folks and these folks in power not to give up on that, not because, I mean, we are where we are today with this incredible pro-life generation because of where our church has been, because of the sacrifices our church has made for the past five decades to inform and instruct and inspire this whole generation of young people uh, and of Americans to stand unapologetically in defense for life. And we cannot um, give that up now because I mean, that was our message at the march and at the National Pro-Life Summit of we have to be unstoppable. There's so much more we must do. The battle is actually harder today than it was. Uh, it's more complex than it was last June, June before the Dobbs decision came down. There's so much more we must do. And it feels like, uh, from someone who's fighting, fighting this every day, that they're coming from every side. You know, the, Joe Biden has no qualms about weaponizing the DOJ and the FDA to advance these dangerous chemical abortion pills that are the drug of choice of abusers and lead to injury, infertility, and death of women. And now turning every pharmacy, every local pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid now have all said they intend to apply to distribute these drugs, meaning pharmacists across the country. Catholic, pro-life, Christian pharmacists will be asked to dispense life-ending drugs, meaning the next time you are at a CVS picking up cough medicine or diabetes insulin for your children, the woman in front of you could be picking up a drug and moments away from taking the first pill to end the life of a child. Wow. Or the abuser wow. behind you could be picking up the drug that he's going to force feed his next 
victim. Yeah, it's an unbelievable situation that's developing um, with these abortion pills uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in these pharmacies across our country. want to absolutely uh, dive into it. I know you have a, a very yeah. strong response planned, and we want to get into that in, in a moment. I want to invite our listeners, if you want to be part of our conversation, uh, with Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America. We're taking your calls at 888 888-914-914-914-914. We're going to take a short break as we continue our discussion with Kristen. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. With Roe v. Wade gone, America has a true chance to become the land of the free, the free to be born. But now, pro-life, Jen, it's your responsibility. It's our privilege to bring the brave, to be unstoppable, to see good triumph over evil, and to end the devastation of abortion in our land forever. And that was Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America at the recent National Pro-Life Summit. Uh, and she now joins us once again live here on Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us as uh, we continue our conversation about life. Uh, Kristen, uh, wow, you were really fired up there uh, when you took the podium. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I would... I challenge these young people who gathered to to truly be unstoppable, to understand that, you know, our victory as a generation was not seeing Roe versus Wade reversed. We had the honor of being there, but that this was a victory that was, you know, laid in the 1970s and 1980s and the original pro-life generation who, you know, very quickly after the road decision came down, refused to be quiet, refused to do the, you know, appropriate thing and not talk about abortion, you know, at the dinner table and, and, and led this movement and created this movement. Our victory, though, as a pro-life generation will become in what comes next. And I think that for me is a, is a rallying cry that I've continued to, you know, to make sense June 24th and that now all eyes are on this generation. Are we actually going to be able to make abortion a thing of the past? Um, and, and that's why, you know, we're rallying on February 14th, for example, at the Walgreens headquarters outside of Chicago. Um, that's why we're sending Valentine's Day cards, actual Valentine's Day cards, uh, with the signatures, hopefully, of hundreds of thousands of pro-lifers across the country to the CEOs of Walgreens, CVS, and now Rite Aid. Um, because we, you know, abolishing abortion this lifetime um, means we're going to have to stop our local pharmacies from carrying abortion drugs. This is the preeminent threat we face in the pro-life movement. We've talked a lot, Johnson the fall of Rose since the Dobbs decision of what the pro-life movement must do next. And there's a lot we must do. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about the lack of awareness of our pregnancy centers and how 75% of our neighbors do not know about nonviolent resources. Now, we, we know it's students for life. After a concerted effort, we can at least increase awareness 10 to 15% within three months. But that's a lot of work. Um, 
But I think fundamentally, when you look at the entire landscape of our movement, we have to stop the proliferation of chemical abortion pills. No question. We have to stop it. No, no question. How, how dangerous are these pills? I, I think that a lot of people really don't yeah. realize exactly how dangerous they okay. are. Chemical abortion pills are not hormonal contraceptive pills. I think it's very important we need to educate ourselves. These are not Plan B. The intended effects of Plan B is to stop the release of an egg from a woman's ovary so conception cannot begin. Plan B can be abortifacient. It's not the intended effect. The 100% intended effect of RU486 chemical abortion pills is to end the beating heart of a human being. These pills are four times more dangerous than surgical abortion. 10 times more life-threatening than a surgical abortion. 15% of the time when a woman takes these pills, she will experience what's called an incomplete abortion, meaning she'll have to still go and get a DNC, another abortion committed upon her, which this is why the abortion industry loves these drugs, because it costs, it costs her double, because she will not have expelled all the parts of the child, the placental and pregnancy tissue, leaving her at risk for sepsis. It is really an unbelievable uh, situation. And I know that uh, there's going to be uh, other protests uh, like mm-hmm. uh, the upcoming okay. one on Valentine's Day, uh, also in March uh, with uh, Students for Life. That's right. I mean, we need folks, if you've ever gone out in front of an abortion facility and prayed, you, you need to start readying yourself to do that from your local pharmacy. And we need to show our local pharmacies that we're not going to tolerate this. Um, so we are not only doing the headquarters protest on Valentine's Day there outside Chicago Walgreens, but we're asking pro-lifers across the country on March 4th to go out and protest your local CVS, Rite Aid, or Walgreens. Um, telling them no to dangerous chemical abortion pills, telling them no to becoming an abortion facility. Pharmacies should be a place of healing. They should not be a place of death. And I cannot overemphasize this enough, John. We cannot allow abortion, you know, our local pharmacies become abortion facilities. The normalization beyond the number, the mere the overwhelming numbers of abortions we will see at that point. But I think we need to understand from the cultural perspective of ending abortion, this is so dangerous because we cannot allow abortion to become so normalized that, you know, you can walk into any pharmacy across the country and get an abortion drug. Because let's be clear, they're not going to stop with merely saying pharmacies can distribute these drugs. The next ultimatum from the Biden administration will be pharmacies must distribute these drugs. It's been very clear from the Biden administration they do not believe in religious liberty, freedom of conscience for anyone who doesn't follow their woke ideology. So this is going to put pharmacists, pharmacy techs across America in the firing line of their own job if if they're unwilling to distribute life-ending drugs. So it's going to go from can to must. And then the next step is going to be the, their final step and, well, and one that we know if we look at the history of Plan B, the hormonal contraceptive 
drug. It only took about four years for them to do this. So, I mean, our time is very short. Our window is very short in stopping this. The next step will be to get these drugs over the counter and taxpayer funded. Kristen, it, it is be, so so concerning, uh, obviously, especially mm-hmm. when you consider that there's more than 18,000 Walgreens and CVS stores yeah. alone. That's not counting other pharmacies. I mean, that means that every one of these places uh, automatically becomes uh, a, an abortion clinic. That's right. There is no greater threat that our movement faces. I'm going to say this very clear. I don't, I'm sorry if I'm scaring folks. But there's no greater threat our pro-life movement faces than chemical abortion pills. If we allow chemical abortion pills to go into every single pharmacy that eventually will be over the counter, we will not achieve our mission of making abortion unthinkable, unavailable in our lifetime, hands down. It is the single biggest threat. Our entire you know, $20 million organization at Students for Life, all the entities, um, all the staff members, all the volunteers I have at my disposal, I my rallying cry to them has been we must stop this and every single day we're going to campuses, you know, our online our abortion free cities project. We're talking about everywhere we are. We're going to be talking about chemical abortion pills. It's so so deeply important, and that's why I, every pro lifer has to get involved right now. You can go to studentsforlife.org/abortioncartel and sign up now for one of the programs. Kristen, what can the average Catholic that's pro-life, that's uh, listening to our conversation, uh, do? Uh, because they're put into a quandary, especially if you're a customer of Walgreens yeah. or CVS, and you've been going to Walgreens like our family. We've been using Walgreens for yeah. decades, and now we have to make some decisions and uh, possibly pull out of Walgreens and find a different place. And then the other question is, what other place we have find? They might also be distributing yeah. uh, these abortion pills. Yeah, if you go to studentsrights.org slash abortion cartel, there's going to be three options for you. The first button will say email the CEOs. Everybody can send a personal email. This Our system allows it. We already have the letter filled out. You just put in your information. It sends from your email right to the CEOs. The second button on the website will allow you to send a valentine. We're printing out a physical valentines. I mean, mailing them to all the CEOs. You can send a valentine, just put in your information, we'll send it out for you. You can also print it out as a PDF, handwrite your name, and on Valentine's Day, go and deliver them to every local CVS. Go into the CVS, go into the Walgreens, go into the Rite Aid, ask to speak with the manager, and hand them your valentine. Because that's another important component here of the workers did not sign up to work in an abortion facility. Folks who work at Rite Aid Walgreens are not prepared to deal with scores of pro-lifers outside of their buildings praying for them. Um, This is why we have to be loud right now. Uh, And then the third button on studentsweat.org slash abortion cartel will let you sign up to join us uh, outside Chicago on February 14th or join us on March 4th. Let us know where you're going to rally on March 4th, where you're going to have a prayer vigil, where you're going to have a rally, um, in what community, so we can get you our free uh, activism kit and how to get started and what kind of you know messages to put in your signs, things like that. Well, Kristen, so much appreciate you bringing us up to date uh, on this very important issue of these chemical abortions. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me.
many blessings to you. Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Please Come Home by Max Lucado. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's hearts. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to do one last thing, get pictures. She sat in the photo booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black-and-white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that before were unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes, she went to them all, and at each place she left her picture. Taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out. Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over she had longed to trade those countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there in the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn, for another inspirational story corner. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, our spiritual director, Father Burke Masters, will be with us to continue his new series on morality, virtue, and freedom. Today we're going to focus on the morality of human acts. Plus, career coach Bruce Lockenauer will give us an update on the latest tech layoffs and, and share new insights into the job market. Stay with us. Do not change that dial. There's much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 